There are three faiths that pretty much exist in the world. All religions can pretty much be found in one or a synchronization of them. The first faith, there is no God. Now for those who take this religion, this faith, they say, well, wait a minute. We don't believe that there's a God or we're, we're atheists because science tells us there is no God and agnostics just aren't sure. But let me tell you that your belief that there is no God is a faith. That there is more evidence, both cosmologically, ontologically, mathematically, astronomically, biologically, however other science that you want to look at, there, are, there is more evidence for the fact that there is a God than there is evidence that there is not. But your acceptance of whether there is a God or in this faith no God is faith. Because you cannot place God in your test tube and prove Him. You just simply believe and probably hope there is no God. The second faith is basically something that says that as I approach God, that there is something that I have of, to contribute, whether it's enlightenment or submission or merit. That's one of these things allows me access to God because of something that I bring or have or obtain. Then there is the third faith, the one that I hold on to and the one that I believe most of you here take, and which is grace. That my access to God is based on His grace. That I know that I have been given that grace by faith, which is a gift. And that there are not many roads to God just like there were many roads to Rome, there is a single highway, and that is called in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. The problem has been is that even in the gospel, the one faith that we hold on to, that the world and other religions try to invade our beliefs and try to cause us to change what the gospel says. And Paul in this letter to Galatian churches is arguing vehemently and strongly that we are to keep the gospel pure. And any syncretization with other religions or other thoughts has no place in Christianity. Even though there are a number of denominations that hold out to be Christian, have some of these foreign ideas. And quite frankly, it has been so pervasive that oftentimes when we find ourselves in difficulty, whether it's health or finance or whatever, we tend to then fall back on, well, was it something I did? Is God angry at me? And we're always, did I do enough to secure salvation? And so today's sermon title is 
justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That's the gospel. Justification is a legal word. To describe it and to define it is basically by saying that you are guiltless, that there is no wrong in you. If someone says you were justified, there is no penalty or any reason to say that you even have to be sorry because you are faultless, you are blameless. There is a second type of legal concept, which is excuse. When you do something that, that we're not quite sure, but, but it's something that we're going to hold you accountable before, you are excused from it. It doesn't mean that you did it correctly, but we understand that in the situation you are, we're not going to further penalize you. But justification says you are innocent. In a religious context, you are righteous. And so Paul is going to be arguing this, that there is not a combination, but it's simply one. So he addresses the situation in verse 15 of 2 Galatians chapter 2. We are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Now I'm going to stop there. Paul's going to say, I'm a Jew. We follow the law. As a result, if you want to compare my guilt with somebody else's guilt, I have less guilt because I follow the law. I'm not like the Gentiles who go just do whatever they want to do and worship whatever God they want to do. But he's saying, even we Jews understand, after having brought the law and been the ones who, have, who God distributed to us, through us, that we understand that our salvation isn't based on our ability to keep the law. Keeping the law will never justify us. So he says, so he says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, whether you're Jew or a Gentile, your faith must be in Christ to be justified. Keeping the law or attempting to keep the law will not justify you. So he says, even we, the Jews... And, and, and the reason he's arguing this is that the reason that he's having to discuss this is that there are those who are saying, okay, it's wonderful you came to Christ, but now you've got to keep the law. Now you've got to be circumcised. Now you've got to eat certain dietary things and you've got to you know, go to a synagogue on Saturday and do certain things that you're supposed to do. Paul's saying, no, justification does not give it to us by how we keep the law. It is by faith, and it is necessary for both the Jew who, who brought the oracles of the law and the Gentiles to have faith in Christ. So 
So again, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Now, I don't think you need to be an English major to figure out what this says. It says, no one. Pretty simple. It's not no one except the following. It's not no one but the Jews. It's not no one but you. It's no one will be justified by keeping the law. So once you start trying to keep the law, guess what? No one is justified. So your whole attempt to become righteous and justified before God is going to be a miserable failure because as Jesus said when he was asked a, que- when it was asked a question, he said, good teacher. And Jesus goes, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Your attempt to keep the law will not make you good. It may make you better than the person next to you, but does it make you like God? But, verse 17, if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. Paul is addressing an issue that you will find today, and he's addressing that the Jew who believes in having to follow the law, and well, that means that you Christians can do whatever you want and still be saved. The answer is yeah. Because keeping the law is not what keeps you saved. But the aspect of saying, well, because Christ has saved me because of my faith and I'm now justified, doesn't make Christ the author of additional sin. Christ doesn't give me permission to sin because I'm saved. So he is not a minister of sin. What he's saying is, is that I no longer keep the law for the law's sake. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners as Christ and a minister of sin, may it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now what's Paul saying there? He's saying is, this is what you guys are doing. In essence, accusing me of and, and telling the Galatians, Sure, you may have come to God through faith, but now you've got to keep the law. And Paul's saying, well, if you arrived at faith without the law, why is it, in essence, you destroyed the law? But now you're saying in order to keep salvation, you've got to keep the law, so you're rebuilding what you once destroyed. Paul goes, that doesn't make sense. It's either one or the other. It's not both. And then Paul starts talking in personal testimony. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, if there was anybody who ever thought that they ought to follow the law, it would have been Paul. Because Saul was that man. Saul was the one who 
who was a Pharisee. Saul was the one who studied under Gamaliel. Saul was the one who was making sure that the Christian faith did not expand because he thought it was a heresy. But Paul said, once I was revealed Christ, and once I understood that I was saved by grace through faith, that that calling and that keeping has nothing to do with my merit, and so I died to the law, and now I live to God. What Paul is also saying is the reason I do what I do and the reason I don't do what I don't do is not because of the law. It's because I love God. His whole motivation is different. And see, that's what usually people don't understand when it comes to we who believe in salvation by grace. We don't do something or don't do something because of the law. We do something or don't do something based on our love of Christ. So when we refrain from certain things that the world says we ought to be able to do, we say, well, yeah, I could do that. My salvation is dependent upon it, but I'm choosing to live for God. And I'm not going to do certain things. I'm going to then do certain things. Well, what certain things do we do? Well, things that I would not like to do if it wasn't for God. Like love you. I'd rather just love myself. I like me a lot. I'd rather just make sure that I'm well taken care of. That, that my family is, and whatever happens to you, so what? But that's not living for God. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so I choose to love you, not because the law says I'm to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and to love my neighbor as yourself. It's not because it's in the law. And I don't do those things because it's in the law. I do those things, and we ought to do those things because we love God. I choose to love, not because the law says so, but because I want to live for God. And as far as Paul is concerned, not only does he live for God, he died to the law. The law no longer has any impact. I'll give you a, a terrible example of that. Person, we have a, a, um, a funeral and we, we have the casket here and, and whatever. Then we put it in the hearse and the hearse decides to drive 90 miles an hour on the freeway. The law says you're not supposed to do that. The person in the, hurt, in the, in the casket, not going to be in trouble by the law. The law doesn't apply to him. Paul's saying, it's with me. I'm not living for the law. I'm dead to the law. So I don't consider whether it's the law that I ought to do it, whether it's right or wrong according to the law, I decide whether it glorifies God or not. I have been crucified with Christ. He's saying, I so identify with Jesus' death that that's my death. His shame is my shame. I accept his atoning death 
I have been crucified. My sins were placed on him and he died for me. And I died when he died. And it is no longer I who live. Then who does? But Christ lives in me. The secret to the Christian life is not following the law. It's allowing Christ to dwell within you to do what he would have us do. It is no longer me being the best Joe Davis I can be. Because even if I become the absolute best standard of what Joe Davis is, I still fail miserably as a person. And Paul says, I'm not seeking to be from Saul to Paul and be this wonderful guy. I want to be Jesus. My goal is not to be great Paul, but to be Jesus. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, not only is my life different, not only are my motivations different, but my goals are different. My goals to live in faith in Christ. I don't live by saying, well, does the law say this or that? But I live by the fact of what glorifies God. And I don't do those things that don't glorify God. Because I understand that God gave Jesus for me. And that was not a fair exchange. As a matter of fact, if every person who ever lived from Adam and Eve until the last human being is born, and they were all saved, and they all went to heaven, it would still not be a fair exchange between what Christ gave and what he got. But the amazing thing is that's how he loved. And that's what Paul is demonstrating. When I choose to, I no longer say, well, I love my neighbor because the law says. No, no, I understand that God first loved me. And so my response is to love you back. I live not because of what the do's and don'ts. I live because of what God has demonstrated in my life. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. This last sentence devastates any argument about you're supposed to come to God through faith, but keep to God through the law. Because if you could get to God or you can state it with God because of what you do, then Christ didn't need to come. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
if it be your will, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Paul's saying that God could have answered that. Yeah, it's possible. Come on home. Because if they keep the law, everything will be cool. Christ would have died needlessly if under your arguments that your merit qualifies you or keeps you in the direction of heaven. The gospel is not and has never been. You come to God through grace and you stay on the highway through works. It is you come to Christ and you come to the Father through grace by faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God that no one should boast. Paul will later say, but we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And again, those good works are not so that we might prove that we're saved or that we might demonstrate we're saved or that we might keep our salvation. But our good works is to glorify God. It's not to say how wonderful I am and isn't it wonderful I'm keeping the law. It's to glorify God. My salvation glorifies God. My keeping of my salvation glorifies God. My entrance into heaven glorifies God. And anything that I do as a good work doesn't go credit to me. It glorifies God. But all too often, we want to justify ourselves and say, I'm better than the person sitting next to me in the pew. I've done less sin. Well, as Paul will demonstrate and has demonstrated, you commit one sin, and you're guilty of it all. And, I, and if you look at what Jesus is teaching on the law, you're even greater suck. I'll give you a demonstration. The Ten Commandments which Israel could never keep. They couldn't even keep the first couple. They're always making molten idols and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But let's go to the big one, murder. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm cool. I can at least say one thing until Jesus goes, yeah, you ever get angry? You ever call somebody a fool? And I've called people worse than that. All you got to do is hear me on the highway and see some idiot driver. Jesus says, when you do that, you are guilty of murder. And he talks, goes on and talks about adultery and looking at, you know, he hits really close to home. You can justify yourself and you will fail miserably. Or you can let Jesus justify you. And quite frankly, at that, in my not understanding, in what the scriptures teach, there are two judgments. There is a Bema Seat judgment, and the great thing about the Bema Seat judgment, you're not judged on whether you ought to be there or not. You're just there because of the grace of God. And then there's the great white throne judgment that says, we're going to open up all the books of life and we're going to show all that you did. 
and you're not getting in. Both, it would seem to me, the best argument one could make either at the Bema seat or at the great white throne is, well, Lord, you said that if I believe Jesus and I made him my Lord and my master, I could enter into your presence. I have no other evidence to support my entry into heaven than that. And if that's not enough, I don't get to enter. That's the Christian perspective. It's not, well, look at my resume, God. I was a pastor. I did this. I was a missionary. I sang in the choir. I sang in the band. And I, and I led all these people to the Lord. And I did all these good things. And, and on uh, Wednesday, they came and helped feed some people. And, and I put some money in the offering plate. And I even tried to help some poor people when, when I saw they were homeless. And the most devastating words a person might ever hear is, depart from me. I never knew you. See, that's what grace is all about. It's not that God knew you and doesn't know you and knows you again. It's that God knows you. It is grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And we should never, ever, ever allow the world or other teachings to sidetrack us from that, to cause us to ever doubt for a moment our salvation or his love. The scriptures are replete with assurances of grace through faith. It is replete with his words. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even your failure to keep the law because no flesh is justified by the works of they're justified by Jesus' works and our faith in him. Our guilt, our shame, our righteousness, our justification derive from what Jesus did on the cross. And as I said when we started this study, and I will continue to say, anything that attempts to diminish the glory of God is incorrect theology. And any attempt to take credit for what God has done to allow you into his presence attempts to diminish the glory of God. And so this teaching 
is as necessary today as it was when Paul first wrote it. Because there are too many denominations, too many religions, too many people who think, well, you must have done, you know, why, why are you better than somebody else that you should go to heaven? And the answer is, I'm not better than anybody. Probably worse than a whole lot of people. But it's because of what God has done. And Paul, who might be able to boast if anybody understands, not even he should boast. So, my encouragement to you and to me is not only to understand that we are saved by grace through faith, but that our whole motivation should not be, well, do I do the right thing or the wrong thing, but do I do what pleases God? For I'm dead to the law, but I live to God. And that I no longer live for my own purposes, but for the one who gave it all.